Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and we've got a phenomenal show lined up for you today. First, we're talking to the Wolfman, Bobby Moffitt, who just picked up a win in his UFC debut over Wiley veteran Chaz Skelly. We'll talk all about the submission and the controversy that surrounds it, as well as what comes next for Bobby Moffitt. Plus, we'll be talking about all of UFC Denver and the crazy late finish from Yair Rodriguez, which inspires our combat countdown of the top five best finishes of all time. Plus, we'll end today with a breakdown of UFC's first trip to Argentina. But first, let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. They're a family-owned business located in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. They make high-quality and affordable gear for MMA and BJJ enthusiasts. I've got their arm bars and stripes rash guard. I've washed the thing a thousand times, and it is still as bright and vibrant as the day I bought it. Plus, it's holding up great. There's no pilling. The threads are still all there. It is a phenomenal rash guard. Plus, if you go get it right now, you can get it with our promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, and you can get it for just 16 bucks at ADKFightWear.com. That's right, 16 bucks for a rash guard. Where else can you get a rash guard for that price? And that's not all they have there, too. You can check out their geese, spats, other rash guards, and all that good stuff at ADKFightWear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on Flow Combat, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to Bobby Moffat, fresh off his Dars Choke finish of Chaz Skelly in his UFC debut this past weekend. So, Bobby, uh, obviously there's a little bit of controversy surrounding that finish. Uh, let, let's get the quote directly from you. Did you feel him go limp even for a second? Did you think uh, he was out? I wasn't even... Uh... I wasn't even thinking about him going to sleep, honestly. I was just thinking about uh, choking him as hard as I could. So, <laughs> so to me, it, it, I knew the referee was in on top of us, and I knew the referee was, like, grabbing him a little bit. So, honestly, I wasn't feeling him go limp. I was just thinking about the referee grabbing him, and then the referee said, he's out. And I was like, it felt, to me, it felt like it was justified. I knew I was just thinking about, I was thinking about making the choke even tighter at that point, so I didn't even uh, think about him going to sleep. Honestly, I was just so excited to be going for the finish in my first UFC fight. I wasn't, uh, I was honestly just thinking about myself the entire time. <laughs> it kind of sound a, a little bit uh, self-centered, but I was just thinking about, man, I'm, I'm squeezing the hell out of this. Oh. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm oh, squeezing you, you certainly are. <laughs> Cuss away. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> I'm squeezing as, as hard as I can, and and uh, if he's not going to tap out, then I'm going to make this choke even tighter. You know, um, I don't think a lot of people understand that that uh, you know this is this is my favorite choke. Like I've been choking people in this move for five to six years now. I've been perfecting my uh, squeeze on the choke, you know. So I can choke someone in that position. Uh, I can choke someone with a dart choke in almost any position. Um, a lot of people don't understand that. I think that I saw a few comments. People say that um, you needed, I needed to to hook his leg to finish it, and that isn't true. You know, um, to hook the leg was just 
I don't personally. I don't like hooking the leg just because I don't like having to use that kind of pressure. Mm. Because I think I lose the choke and it just kind of becomes a crank at that point. But that's what I, I was just thinking about trying to win. You know, so I knew the next advancement for the position was to hook the leg and then pull back and uh, and arch my back, and then the choke becomes uh, a little bit different because now his his knee is coming up to his head. And then I'm pulling up. It's almost like a guillotine, but his arms in, and it's a the Dars the the figure four with the arms. But people don't understand that um, I was going for the Dars from the top position, and when he, when I was realizing he was walking his legs up, and I wasn't gonna get him get him to go back down, that I knew I could just sit and invert with the Dars because all I need is my chest lined up with his shoulder properly and I shoot the arm all the way through and when I when he got on top my arm was all the my hand was all the way out from the outside of his neck so I knew man this is this is going to be really tight when I lock this up so I was like you know I'm going to finish going for the stars so I locked it up and it was pretty tight I knew it was he was doing the right stuff you know he was trying to get his hips out and then he stopped moving and the referee, when I watched the replay, the referee grabbed his arm and pulled it, and he didn't give any resistance to the referee grabbing him, mm-hmm. and it looked like he was asleep. You know, so to me, to me, it was justified the mm-hmm. stoppage. Mm-hmm. Um, when I watched the replay, obviously, I don't want it to be like, yo, you know, uh, there's no way he could have been not asleep. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to like act like a uh, an ass and, and be like, you know, I can't believe anything that he said because I thought I was choking him pretty hard, mm-hmm. squeezing him as hard as I could, mm-hmm. and uh, I was ready if he was going to defend it, uh, continue defending it because it wasn't like he was out of the choke at that point. I could still squeeze him and put him to sleep. So I knew we were still in the right position to, to finish the submissions, but that's what I think people don't understand. Yeah, people and I- don't understand that. What? So I was going to ask you too there, you know, you, you mentioned in there that you've been perfecting your Dars choke for a long time. It's obviously something that you feel really confident with. And, and you just yeah. highlighted a couple of like technical aspects from different positions that are really helpful for you. What what makes the Dars choke uh, so fond to you? Why, why that move of all moves? Uh, has that been the one that you've sort of latched onto there? So, um... I don't know, I think it kind of, it honestly develops all the way from when I was a little kid. Like, when I was a little kid, and I would get in fights, I always thought, man, if I could headlock somebody, mm-hmm. I could just squeeze them, squeeze them as hard as they could, and they, and they, I, I could just hurt them, and they would, they would not, they wouldn't want to fight anymore. And that was when I didn't even know how to fight or do anything, but I was just like, I knew I could squeeze somebody's head really hard, and they would not want to fight me anymore. <laughs> that was just me as a kid. <laughs> And when I started wrestling, um, it took a couple years. Like I, I started wrestling in sixth grade, and then freshman year of high school, we started. Go- we went over a move. Well, actually, no, I didn't even know about the move. I asked my coaches about it, and I did it from a different position. And they're like, "No, this is the way you should do it." It was a three-quarter Nelson where you, where you do that Dars grip, but then you hook the leg that's nearest to you, and you just you take the dude right over his back and you pin him. So when I learned that as a freshman, 
I was still like really good at just locking my arms up. So I would lock up cradles. Like that was my thing. And I have a really strong grip. So from there, eventually I started developing the three quarter Nelson and then junior year and senior year, I was just really good at it. And then I could, I, if I locked somebody up in that, I felt like I could, I could tell anybody, you know, get them to their back. Um, so then from that position, when I started doing jujitsu, I was so far gone from that wrestling position that eventually I came back to the same position like three years into jujitsu. And I realized I've been doing this position for almost, you know, seven years now, but I haven't even like been doing it to choke people. I've just been doing it to, to pin them. So, so now I started choking people with it when I was like a blue belt and purple belt. And I started to realize that I'm just really good. I'm naturally good at choking people in this position. So I just started doing it all the time. So I've been, every time I roll with somebody, I try and darse them. So I don't know how many rolls I've done since I realized that I'm really good at this move, but a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I can, I can darse someone from my back. I can darse someone from them being on my back in the first round. Even uh, Ben, Ben in my corner was like, "Hey, you know, like he's on your back. He took the arm over. You know, remember you can dart. Like you, you go for your darts, go for your darts, because there's a darts from that position too." And I was thinking about it, but his head wasn't low enough for me to grab, and uh, I didn't want to like uh, reach up and then him let go and try and go for an arm bar or something yet, because his arms are still locked up. So not his arms, his legs were still locked up on my back. So. I didn't want to give up uh, a submission to him and go for the darts from him being on my back. But there's a way to do it from there. There's a way to do it from me in guard, open guard, half guard, side control, me being on top, me standing. I mean, there's so many, uh, me going from a pass to the darts. There's, I have so many different ways to darts people that I don't think um, people understand how good I am at the move. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing it. Uh, for a really long time, and that's one of the ways I do it. Like, if if I'm on top of somebody and they roll me to their side or roll me to my back, I can still darse them. You know, that's a way to do it from open guard too. If I let them pass me and I shoot the arm through, and I can go to a darse right there. And and uh, I don't think some I see some you know jujitsu experts, and I'm doing air quotes right now <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the comments, and they and they say like oh I need it to do a certain thing but they just don't understand how good I am at the moment so yeah <laughs> so and it's clear too if you look back at your record too you obviously have a couple of Darius choke finishes in there so I, I'm yeah you're pretty confident in the move obviously I, you know I, I just want to say ask real quickly just to get it on record too here so if the ref doesn't stop that fight there and it goes on for a couple more seconds, you're pretty sure you get the readjustment and you just finish him there uh, probably from on top? Yeah, so this is the thing. If if he wasn't going to tap right there and he wasn't going to go to sleep, like that wasn't going to be – there was no way he was going to sleep in that position and I, and I couldn't – and then I couldn't hook his leg, then I readjust my arm – not the arm that's that's hooked around my uh, my hand, the outside arm. It's not really doing the choking, just doing the uh, the crank on, on my hand, forcing the choke. 
I would readjust that. I would go for uh, an underhook on the arm that was, you know, limp. That that he was uh, that he's, you know, the referee pulled on. I would go to that, pull my arm out. I'd let go of the zars and I'd get on top, and then then we'd be in a position where I would just start hitting him. You know, mm, yeah. once once you invert for that Darst, there's you you have. I mean, there are three options for me positively. You know, I hook the leg, and I finish the dart. I, I eat well. Obviously, I just finish the dart without hooking the leg. That's great, but let's let's pass that. It's hook the leg, finish the dart. It's roll through, and I get on top, and I finish the dart. I don't think people knew I could do that either. They don't. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't don't understand what I was doing. So, and then there's what I just explained, where I would I would slowly let go, get an underhook on the far side, and pull my pull the darcing arm out, and get on top, and I would then I would hit him. Like those are some positive things. The only negative thing would have been him turning on top, but he wasn't in the position to turn on top. Yes. He was trying to go flat. He was still on his side, but he was trying to go flat to his back. Mm -hmm. And then, if he w would have went flat to his back, then he would have given me um, me underhooking him and getting on top and then hitting him. Mm -hmm. So, I still believe the advancement of the position would have been to me finishing him or getting into a dominant position to get to the next position to finish him. You know? So, yeah. I still believe that that whether the, the referee stopped it in time or not in time or right before he was going to go to sleep or or too early or whatever I still believe the result was going to be the same I was going to finish him that yeah. round so that that was my that was my uh, idea on it and I it's kind of weird I uh, I had a weird dream about darcing him in the second round and then I won the fight and then I didn't get to like do an interview afterwards for some reason. It was weird. Mm -hmm. So, that, so I felt like that's kind of what happened. You know, I didn't really get a proper interview after the fight. So it kind of sucked to me. I, I wanna, you know, I wanted to say some stuff, but I really got that opportunity. I just kind of had the the chance to, you know, defend myself and the referee and you know say good things about Chaz and everything. But you know. Um, I felt like I was going to win the fight either way. I knew he was getting tired, so it didn't. It didn't. I I've been training to blow my arms out. You know, I've been doing a lot of things that require me to blow my arms out and then to keep to keep going mm -hmm. because I knew we were in elevation, and I know I like to choke people, so <laughs> I had to get. I had to. I had to get endurance in my arms, and mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling fatigued at all. I felt really strong. In fact, I felt like I was getting, I was getting better, and uh, and faster the more the fight went. You yep. know, that's just how I feel like in in all my fights, but this one especially because I worked so hard to get uh, to get that kind of endurance. Mm -hmm. The things that we're doing with our strength and conditioning coach, and then my training with our striking coach, and then wrestlers that I had with me. It was just, uh, I felt like I was on a whole other level. 
Absolutely. So we'll give you a second to to have that post-fight talk, you know, the whole what's next for uh, Bobby Moffitt kind of deal. But I did want to ask you one more question about the finish. Uh, You know, obviously there's all that that stuff about the finish. You're getting asked questions about the finish. Uh, You know, people are are giving you critiques on all of it. But but the bottom line is the, the ref stopped the fight. When you were sitting there in the cage with Chaz Skelly while they're reviewing it all, how nerve-wracking was it that they were looking at the the replay? Uh, could you see him looking at it? You know, were you nervous this was going to go down as a no contest instead of your first win? H- how were you feeling at that time? Yeah, I was pretty nervous about it being, uh, like, the win being taken away from me, you know? I felt like it, felt like if that would have happened, I would have kind of been, you know, cheated a little bit mm-hmm. because he was still in the choke, you know? The referee stopped it while I was, choking him and while I was trying to make the choke even tighter so so I was like you know like how are we going to do this are they going to I know they've never done it before but I was like man are they going to like restart us standing like somehow and just have us fight more I was like like what's going to happen like that that would have been I mean I wouldn't say fair but that would have been a better option I guess you know just because at that point I wouldn't have wanted it to be a no contest. I would have just rather fought the rest of it and, and gone gone on to to do what I was planning on doing, which was finishing him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't want that to be taken as, hey, let's stop the fight, and yeah. now, oh, we can just restart it whenever we want. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather that not be a, a possibility. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, hey, you know, they stopped, you stopped the fight, and it was over. But I was I was pretty nervous about it being ruled a no contest just because I don't know I put so much work into it mm-hmm. obviously Chaz put a whole bunch of work into it too so so whether it was fair or unjust I knew that one of us could potentially be getting screwed over whether whether it, it if if he was actually just going to sleep or not you mm-hmm. know yeah so so <laughs> you know I was kind of a little, you know, you're a little selfish at that point. You know, you're, you're all fighting each other, and your whole thing is to beat the other person into submission, or till they can't, till they can't move anymore. You know, so, so I was like, man, I just want this to be a win. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to go down as me choking somebody and then they stop it and it becomes a no contest. You know, yeah, it just didn't. It wasn't gonna feel good yeah. know, to me, and obviously, it also doesn't feel good to be a guy being choked and then you think that you aren't aren't ready to go and then the ref stops it you know so so if that's the truth for Chaz that also sucks too yeah but if it wasn't if he was going to sleep which it, when I watched the replay it kind of looked like he was to me then you know, it, it sucks either way. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, l- let's give you that that post fight interview that you were looking for the whole time here. You know, it, you know, we like to ask, you know, what's next for you? How, how quickly can you get back in there? You know, what are you thinking as far as the next step for Bobby Moffitt? You know, um, I don't even remember what I had planned to say actually. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, what's next for me, honestly, I want whoever the UFC wants me to fight next, you know. If, you know, after this controversy, uh, the UFC wants me to fight Chaz again, then so be it. If they want me to fight him uh, down the line, after I fight somebody else, 
it doesn't really matter to me, you know. I I know what I was going to do that night, you know, and I, I know I could do that every night that him and I fight, you know. So that's how I feel about that. But I would like to fight, you know, somebody different. I was I saw Chaz was ranked like thirty three or four or something like that in the world at featherweight. So. I know it's kind of like a big jump for me. I think it was like almost over a hundred spots or something like that. But I would like to fight somebody in like the top thirty or something like that. I want to just get to the top as fast as possible. That's that's my plan. That's what I want to do. That's that's why I fight. I want to be the best fighter in the world. I want to be the best featherweight in the world. And uh, that's my goal, and that's the goal that I'm gonna that I'm going to accomplish. I knew I was going to get into the UFC, and that's the first step. Now my next step is to get in the top 30, the next step, top 20, top 10, top 5, and then you get the chance to be the best. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. That's what I want for my life, and, and that's what I'm working towards, you know? Yeah, and you I said you wanted to get up to the top as quickly as you possibly could. It, how quickly can you get back in there for another win? Uh, I'm not injured at all. Like my shoulder's a little sore, uh, but honestly, I think that's just just like normal soreness. Mm -hmm. So I feel good. I'm 100% already. You know, obviously, I like to have some time where I could just eat whatever the <laughs> heck I want to. But but if if they want me to put me back in there, you know, before the end of the year, I told I told uh, my manager after I lost that fight in January which is kind of the similar situation that we just had uh, Saturday night mm -hmm. where I thought I wasn't I, I thought I was able to fight but the referee called it mm -hmm. you know and now I thought it was kind of funny mm -hmm. so I told my manager I want six more fights for the end of this year and I told him that mm -hmm. so I have or did I say five more fights I don't know what I said. I <laughs> either four, four, five to six more fights for the end of the year. So I've had, I've had five fights total this year um, already. So I'm cool with six. That doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm here to be the the best fighter in the world, and that's what I want to do. I want to entertain people, and I want to give people things to talk about, whether it's controversial or not. You know, I just want to fight people, and I want to be the best fighter. Well, so we, that's what I'm here to do. Yeah, and we're certainly looking forward to another Bobby Moffat fight. Uh, you're obviously a really bright guy. We love your technical breakdowns. We're going to have to have you on again just to do a technical breakdown. Um, once again, we want to thank you for your time. Once uh, For the fans, Bobby Moffat, fresh off his Doris Choke win over Chad Skelly this past weekend. Bobby, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. And that interview with the Wolfman, Bobby Moffitt, was brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Look, normal underwear is not made for physical activity. You'd have to be insane to go running or do jiu-jitsu in boxers. And plus, briefs and boxer briefs crush your junk against your leg. You wind up having to readjust yourself like 50 times, which is annoying if you're like the kind of guy who likes to go running. And if you're the type of person who does jiu-jitsu, that is unsanitary. Plus, it's unhealthy for your family jewels to get crushed like that and to be playing with them all the time. So, luckily, there is a solution. Sheath Underwear has an innovative pocket in the front specifically designed for your marbles. It not only stops you from readjusting yourself, but it also keeps you supported and promotes airflow 
throughout whatever it is you're doing. Okay, that means you don't have to readjust yourself over and over again and you still stay supported. It's the comfiest pair of underwear you will ever put on. And I mean that, the comfiest pair. You'll want to wear them when you're not just doing physical activity, you want to wear them every single day. So don't just take my word for it. Head to sheathunderwear.com. That's sheathunderwear.com. While you're there, use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, and get 20% off your whole order. I, of course, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte with Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Dave, there you have it. What do you think of this guy's technical breakdown? <laughs> I love this technical breakdown. Fuck the jiu-jitsu online trolls and the know-it-alls. <laughs> that all being said, I'm going to be a jiu-jitsu know-it-all and say, of course he's right. You can modify the Darce and get it from crazy fucking angles. Uh, just, I mean, we've seen Darces on the bottom before. I want to say Tony Ferguson had a Darce from the bottom. I think that's a common misconception, actually, where people see a Darce from the bottom and they think it's an anaconda choke, but that's not the case. It's just where your hand enters, and if it's entering armpit first and then connecting to the neck, that's a darce. If it's entering neck first and then connecting through the armpit, that's an anaconda. But you could do the darce from the bottom. Anyway, bottom line, I fucking love Bobby Moffat. Yeah, I love Bobby Moffat, too, and, and he's so right about the the different leverages of darces in different situations, um, which I think is, is you're right, a, a completely overlooked part of the darce. But on top of that, let, let's talk about the fact that this is a guy with three or four Darius finishes uh, in his, you know, some, somewhat short career right now. Definitely a prospect, uh, a jiu-jitsu prospect to look out for in the, the near future. Who was the, remind me, Gumby, because I know you're king of all MMA oh. hardcore nerds. Who was the British fighter? <laughs> I already know what you're going to ask. With all the triangles? Yeah. yeah, his name's Paul Sass. <laughs> yeah, that's who Bobby Moffat is. Because even Paul Sass, as he was coming up, had a bunch of triangles, and then he had one or two in the UFC as well. But he had I like think he, I think he triangled Michael Johnson, which is uh, which is a hell of a feather in your cap. I, yeah, and I remember looking this up once because it was like I tried to do like a king of all submissions. He was the king of the triangle, the way Paul Harris was the king of the heel hook. But you know what? Hey, I think Tony Ferguson has two, right? He definitely has one against Barbosa, and he had one against someone else. Oh, he might have also had one against uh, Venata. I'll look that up. I'll have the intern, I'll have the Top Turtle intern, wink, wink me, look that up right now. But I think Bobby Moffat could certainly become the king of the Dars. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially because, like he says, he's been doing it and has a basis of doing it since you go back to when he was like six years old working on, you know, like schoolyard headlocks and messing with his grips then. You know, th this is a guy who pretty much only cares, not only cares about the Darce, that, that's taken away from his, the rest of his Jiu-Jitsu game, but really cares about how his Darce choke looks. Uh, yeah, so Tony Ferguson, in turn looking it up, uh, just informed me, Tony Ferguson, really the king of the Darce, uh, there have been like, I want to say nine or ten in the UFC, Tony Ferguson has motherfucking three of them, Mike Rio, Edson Barboso, and La Edson Barboza, and Lando Venata. So, hey, Bobby, you got two more to tie the king. You need four to become the real king. To be the man, you got to beat the man. But I love that he is a Darce freak. Yeah, and the other intern looked up uh, Paul Sass versus Michael Johnson uh, because he did want to know if it was a triangle choke or not. He actually did submit Michael Johnson, but with an inverted heel hook, which uh, I find somewhat more impressive somehow. Um, yeah, Paul Sass, underrated name. 
How many triangles did he throw up in his career? Because he had like 11. Let's see. In the UFC, he had two only. Mike right. Holst, who I've never heard of until right now, even being the nerd I am, and Jacob Volkman, who's a pretty big name. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in his career. Nine times to quote the principal <laughs> in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nine triangles. Uh, one more he's going to have to stay back. All right, let's go. <laughs> that was good. Let's go around the league a little bit. Uh, it was just announced as we went to taping. Or I shouldn't say announced. It's being heavily rumored that it's going to be uh, Gaethje versus Pettis sometime in early 2019. Your thoughts? Um, I like that fight. Uh, I think a lot of people calling for Gaethje versus uh, Cowboy was just kind of like guys out there looking for a slugfest. But I, I don't actually think that that's too interesting of a fight for me just because... Uh, I, I think Cerrone's a little bit too smart to get into a firefight like that, whereas I think Pettis will only have the option to get in a firefight like that. You know, like, Pettis isn't going to out-wrestle Gaethje. Pettis isn't going to bring Gaethje to the ground. Pettis and Gaethje is a better fight for those of you who are, like, looking for bloodlust. Dude, this is what's so fucking funny about Pettis versus Gaethje, is that Gaethje is, by any standard, by any stretch of the imagination... Gaethje is a tremendous fighter. Gaethje's biggest issue, his bugaboo, his Achilles heel, is that he doesn't use his wrestling, and he's a good wrestler. He just wants to get into firefights, which is great for the fans, which is why people love him, but it's probably what's going to keep his career short and maybe make it where he's never going to be a champion. That being said, if there was ever a time for Justin Gaethje to fight smart, to grind someone up against the cage, to use takedowns, it would be against Anthony Pettis. What are Anthony Pettis' biggest weakness? It's being pushed against the cage. It's being bullied. It's being taken down. So, Gumby, I ask you, will Justin Gaethje fight a smart fight, or are we just going to see another Justin Gaethje masterpiece firefight? Okay, so I'm going to say this in two ways. First of all, uh, and I, I'm not 100% sure which wrestling coach it was that he was working with, but I did see a social media post earlier today by Justin Gaethje mentioning that he was working on his wrestling. Mm. So he he is indeed working on his wrestling, I believe. And, uh, you know, he is a, a D1 All-American in wrestling. D1 All-American, and he doesn't use it. It's just so insane. So... The first thing I will say is I did see that he is working on his wrestling. The second thing is I have no faith that he wrestles in this fight. None whatsoever. Uh, it's something's in his blood that he gets hit in the head and he just wants to deliver more punishment. If there's any ever time, like you said, a person to grind out, it was Anthony Pettis, and I just don't see it happening. Well, what it does do, no matter how the fight turns out, uh, it does kind of clear some stuff up within the 155-pound division because, and I just tweeted this out on the show's Twitter account, follow us at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Uh, we have prize giveaways, we have trivia. It's a fun Twitter feed, if I do say so myself. I am biased, though. But with Gaethje and Pettis being booked, a lot of the top 10 fighters at 155 now have booked fights. Uh, Barbosa's in the top 10. He's fighting Dan Hooker. That's a great fight, by the way. Ayakinta and Lee are in the top ten. They're fighting each other. Uh, Michael Chiesa, still in the top ten. He's taking a fight at welterweight versus Condit. So what this says to me, with Gaethje and Pettis being booked, you now have some combination of, and I think you know these names, Habib, 
Tony, Connor, Dustin, and Nate. Kevin Lee. Oh, no, Kevin Lee's got Iaquinta. Never mind, you're right. Yeah, just, are Gumby, I mean, we're taping a podcast here. Are you not <laughs> listening to me? Uh, yeah, Iaquinta and Lee. So, Khabib, Tony, Connor, Dustin, Nate, throw in Cowboy into the mix. Those six names, what are the fights you would want to see? Uh, well, I, I said it on my personal Twitter account the other day, too. I, I really want to see Cowboy versus Connor. Because mm. I, I think it's smart in a couple reasons. First of all, it's a striker I think Connor would have an easy time with. You know, not that I don't think Con- or Cowboy's striking is really good, but I think Connor beats him on the feet fairly handedly. I also think it's an interesting enough wrestling slash jujitsu game that Cowboy could win if he dragged it there, and it's going to test whether or not uh, Connor can handle it. But I don't think that it will turn into that. So it's going to wind up being a fight that showcases that Connor can defend the wrestling a little bit. It'll build Connor back up, and at the same time, it'll be wildly entertaining. So I I really like that as a fight. When when you're looking at the other fights, I think it's got to be Poirier versus Kevin Lee, or sorry, Poirier versus uh, Nate Diaz. Um, it's the fight that they they marketed beforehand. I think it's the fight that makes the most sense, especially because as good as Dustin Poirier has done, I just can't see him leapfrogging Tony Ferguson to get the shot at Habib. And as many times as that fight has been booked, and as snake bitten as that fight is, I think you just have to try to book it again. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. And then obviously Habib and Tony, fifth time's a charm. That does make a lot of sense. I will say, and I, we'll save it for the breakdown, I somewhat disagree with you on Connor versus Cerrone. I really truly believe that when Connor is facing a bigger person, which Cowboy is, the left hand doesn't seem to find the mark like it does against a smaller person. For instance, Nate Diaz, mm-hmm. Khabib. Cerrone's a big boy. I mean, this is someone who knocked out Patrick Cote. Yeah. Well, so I I agree with you on that, right? Like, I don't know necessarily that his big left hand and, like, a, a knockout on Cerrone happens. But look at how when Connor really put his mind to it, and, and I'm sure I'm going to catch a bunch of flack for this as well. When Connor put his mind to it, he really did outstrike Nate Diaz in the rematch, right? He doesn't need that big knockout blow to be, like, a technical good ass fucking striker and and really when you break down the way that that uh cowboy fights he's he's technical on the feet but he's not technical like connor is so i'm not necessarily saying that connor would just blast him with a left hand and end his night but i am saying that i think connor out techniques him on the feet and at least outworks him for a pretty easy decision Okay, we'll save it for when it comes i do like the fight as well i like how you broke down those six fighters so you would go uh Tony and Khabib for the title, rebook Nate and Dustin Poirier, and then you have Cerrone versus Connor in what we assume would be a five-round striking Mm -hmm. affair. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, we'll move then around the league. Uh, It looks like it's going to be TJ versus Henry Cejudo, but here's the twist ending. TMZ breaking news. It's not at 135 pounds. It's going to be at 125. Your thoughts? Ah, this is so confusing to me on so many different levels. Here's my thinking about what the UFC is thinking, though. My thought is is that if TJ goes down and beats him for the 25-pound title, it is such an easy nail in the coffin at that point. 
Mm. Because basically what they can say is, look, here's our 135-pound champion. He can lose the 10 pounds and beat the piss out of these 25-pounders. Basically all these 25-pounders are guys who can lose a little bit more weight than the 35-pounders who are all not as good as our 35-pounders. So if TJ goes down there and beats Cejudo, it's the end. And it's an easy end, and it's a clean break. The problem is, is if Cejudo defends. Cejudo defends. It feels murky, but I could also just say something like, okay, so Cejudo proved he's like the beast at 25. Close-up shop at 25. He's now earned himself a 35 title shot. Now they just run it back at 35. My man, you are fucking thinking like a detective. You're so right, because... TJ, uh, yeah, if TJ wins, it, the division dies, and it dies easily, and it dies with someone they like, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he just signed a new contract, so it's not like it's someone like, it's not Gegard Mousasi beating Chris Weidman and then going to Bellator. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's just he retires it, and he's going to go in the Hall of Fame someday. Done. If Sahudo wins... It doesn't keep the division alive. You're right. What it does is it leads to a rematch where TJ says, hey, I came down to your weight. Now you come up to mine. I was drained. I was depleted. And we all know rematches sell well, which actually brings me to my next news point, which was that the buy rate came out for UFC 230, Derek Lewis versus DC and MSG, and it got, you know, an underwhelming, albeit it was a last-minute main event, but it got an underwhelming 250,000 buys, according to Dave Meltzer. I tweeted on our feed, at Top Turtle MMA today, isn't it funny in 2018 that UFC 227, headlined by Dillashaw versus Garbrandt for the bantamweight title, did a, a cool 300K. So this kind of leads to the point that if Cejudo won and they did a rematch, I mean, that TJ Garbrandt rematch sold great. That was one of the better pay-per-view buy rates of the year that wasn't Connor versus Habib with people getting arrested. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think the rematch there at 135 off a of Cejudo win could actually be money. Yeah, and I, I think it is definitely money too. And it, it, it gives closure to this division, which, you know, where, wherever you fall in the, the stance of close the division, don't close the division – if the UFC is going to go through with it, which it appears at the rate they're cutting people, they are going to go through with it. This just seems like a logical way to do it. I will add just one small caveat before we move on from this. The one issue I do have with it is the plethora of good challengers chilling at 135 who are now all not going to fight for it. You know, like Marlon Marias deserves a fucking title shot at this point. Marlon Marias has done fucking anything you could ask of a person. He freaking knocked out Aljamain Sterling in a violent manner and then followed that up by taking, you know, ridiculously long winning streaked uh, Jimmy Rivera and knocking him out in 29 seconds, which is just absurd. And now he's going to wait on the shelf for at least two fights, probably, by TJ Dillashaw that are not going to be him. Yeah. Well, I'm no fan of the flyweight division, so... Shit happens, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. All right, we'll move then uh, back to UFC Denver. We started uh, on it with our interview with Bobby Moffat. We, it would be criminal for us not to speak about the event. It was the 25th anniversary of the UFC back in Denver, where they started uh, originally at the McNichols Sports Arena. 
I love the old school graphics package, the old school music, and the fights were fucking fire. The mm-hmm. fights were great all night. The debut of Macy Barber was awesome. Um, the Bobby Moffat sub, Davi Ramos with that slick rear naked choke. Jiu-Jitsu was on display. As Uncle Henzo says, Jiu-Jitsu, never leave home without it. What did you make of the fight card as a whole before we even talk about the main event? So I, I you're right. I love the package. The graphics package was just phenomenal that they brought it all back. The other thing I will add that I really loved is they, like, found a way to book each fighter as, like, a contrasting style beforehand. Like, it said, like, boxer versus wrestler or, like, jiu-jitsu. Like, it was when, you know, Amanda Bobby Cooper fought Ashley Yoder. It said jiu-jitsu versus boxing. Which, like, sure, they have a lot more tools than that. But if we were going to boil this down and make it feel old school, they gave everybody a technique, which was kind of fun. I also loved how in the Davi Ramos fight, they didn't know what to call John Gunther. So they just called him Freestyle, which I thought was (laughs) hilarious. Um, But overall, yeah, just a fun fucking card. They, They clearly, ahead of time, the matchmaking was brilliant. They were like, this is supposed to be a fun card. So even if we don't load this up with, like, the greatest names in UFC history, it's a card that people will watch and be like, damn, what a damn good 25 years it's been. And it was capped off by an absolutely banger of a fight uh, between Korean Zombie and Yair Rodriguez, which ended at 4 minutes and 59 seconds of the fifth round with a elbow KO by Yair Rodriguez, I don't think I have to review it for you. If you haven't seen it, uh, go Google it. Uh, do whatever you got to do. Watch the replay. Really incredible fight, uh, and really more so an incredible finish. And it kicks off and is a perfect segue into our combat countdown this week. We're counting down the top five late fight finishes. So, hey, for all you lawyers out there, note the wording. We're not talking about crazy finishes. We're not talking about Brock Lesnar getting a head and arm choke after being beaten in round one, and he got that in round two. We're talking about late in the fight, so whether it was a scheduled three or a scheduled five, it happened in the later, the second half of the last round of the scheduled fight, so either late three or late five. That's what we're counting down, uh, and we asked the fans for their feedback. We got it. We compiled the list. But before we give it to you, Gumby, does any fine company sponsor this list? Well, of course, this combat countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard that allows you to talk, breathe, and drink all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. It makes it so that you don't have to take out that chunky mouthguard time after time after time at jujitsu. Get all kinds of weird mat germs all over it. Instead, you can just keep it in there. You can talk to your partners about what you just did. You can have a quick drink. You can get back on the mat without having to play with it all the time. Once again, that's SISUGuard.com. Check out their max guard. It is great for jiu-jitsu. I never roll without my Sisu mouth guard in my mouth. I have conversations. I don't have to take it out, put it back in. Very unsanitary for all those people with those clunky mouth guards. Sometimes, heck, when I drive in my car, I wear my Sisu mouth guard. I'm wearing my Sisu mouth guard right now, and that's how clear I sound. Sisu makes the clearest, thinnest mouth guard. You can still talk and understand people. It's really a feat of science. Let's get to the list. I want to start with two honorable mentions, Gumby, for me, and then we'll ask you for yours. Uh, one honorable mention is 
Mighty Mouse Johnson with the suplex armbar against Ray Borg. Happened late in the fight, late in the fifth round. But here's why I didn't really think it warranted, warranted being in the top five. Johnson was winning the fight. So it wasn't that crazy. It almost just felt like the compilation of him beating down Borg just led to that moment. Same thing for Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson won. Frankie Edgar pulled off, uh, what was it, a Kimura with one second left in the fight. With one second left in the fight. Um, That is simply amazing. But guess what? He was beating down Cub Swanson throughout the whole fight. It wasn't really that shocking that he finally got it. It was just shocking that he got it at, or they they called it at 456. Mm-hmm. So with four seconds left in the fight, and it was actually a neck crank. Yeah. I don't know why. I, in my head, I thought that was a Kimura. But the bottom line is, it was a very late submission. Doesn't make our top five. Still a crazy finish. Do you have an honorable mention? Yeah, I got a couple honorable mentions. The first one, I'll, I'll mention Demetrius Johnson again. When he fought Koji or Koji Horiguchi, uh, he got the submission again with one second left on an armbar. Uh, sure, you could give it to him here, but really, bottom line was he was about to win a 50-45 decision on all three judges' scorecards, and maybe worse than that. So, uh, you know, not real exciting finish, even though it was late in the fight. Uh, I also want to give an honorable mention to one of my favorite knockouts of all time, which is Mike Russo knocking out Todd Duffy after getting beat down for three straight rounds. He landed a shot out of absolutely nowhere and followed it up by one of the funniest-looking hammer fists of all time. It certainly wasn't real devastating in the second part of the finish. Finish, but the first punch was pretty devastating, and it's definitely worth mentioning. All right, let's move to the real list. The meat and potatoes, what brought us to the dance. It's the combat countdown, top five craziest late-round finishes, and I think you'll notice a theme. Everyone on this list with their late finish was losing uh, up until that point. Now, it might not have gone to the judges' scorecards, but ha- if it did, we assume uh, that they would have lost. So the first one comes in, number five. It's Darren Elkins uh, knocking out Mursad Bektik uh, three minutes, 19 seconds into round three of their scheduled three-round fight. Elkins was on his way to a loss here, and he pulls off the crazy KO. How awesome was that? Maybe not only a loss, but maybe a 30-25 loss. I had him 10-8 down in the first and second round. He took a beating from Mirsad Bechtik, and in a way that, like, Bechtik has still not put that kind of beating on anybody else. Um, And not only did he win this fight at, at UFC 209, he won by, like, a crazy stalking head kick and followed it up with some mean punches, and you get one of the most iconic pictures of Darren Elkins' career where he's crying through the blood. If you've never seen it, definitely look it up. It's phenomenal. And we get to talk about Darren Elkins a little bit later because he is fighting this weekend. Boom. Uh, the circle of life. Thank you, Simba. Uh, we'll move then to number four. And this one, this was so epic, and it happened in a title fight. It was actually uh, this fighter's last win in her career it was Misha Tate getting the rear naked choke to win the title over Holly Holm three minutes and 30 seconds into the fifth round at UFC 196. Yeah, and, and really for this one, too, 
you probably have to argue she's going to lose this fight. There are some people out there who think she may have been enough on a no enough scorecards, but no I way. I definitely don't think so. And for me too, this one's got to make the list just because of how monumental. You know, you mentioned this is the last fight she won. It's also a monumental win for her career. She is a person who is already probably on the way to being in the UFC Hall of Fame, but also on the way to being in the UFC Hall of Fame without a belt. Um, and for her to, like, cash in on it against Holly Holm in, like, a really late come-from-behind submission, it's just so epic. Um, and the only way it probably could have been more epic would have been if it was, like, a crazier submission, which is why some of these other ones are a little higher on the list. Um, but, you know, still, rear naked choke on Holly Holm, nothing to shake a stick at. And Holly Holm not tapping and going out like a fucking warrior... Just a few minutes before uh, Connor tapped to Nate Diaz to the same choke. I don't know. There's just always something very poetic about that to me. Mm-hmm. We'll move then to number three. Uh, this fighter is fighting for the uh, the featherweight title in a couple of weeks. It's Brian Ortega, and I think this almost gets forgotten at this point after the wins over Cub Swanson and Frankie Edgar. But Brian Ortega had four fights in a row in the UFC where he pulled off late third round, all scheduled three-round fights, late third-round finishes on fights he was arguably losing. Tiago Tavares, he pulls off a TKO, four minutes, ten seconds into the third round. Diego Brandao, he gets a triangle choke, uh, one minute and 37 seconds into the third round. Uh, Clay Guida, uh, flying knee KO, uh, four minutes and 40 seconds into the third round. That is coming in at our number three, and then it just, I have to mention it, then he comes back uh, in the third round, three minutes into it, and pulls off a guillotine on Hanato Moicano. So four fights in a row where Brian Ortega pulls off a late uh, win, uh, a late finish, but we're going with the one against Clay Guida at UFC 199, four minutes and 40 seconds into the third round. Yeah, and he was arguably losing almost all of those, too. You probably could have made this list just a Brian Ortega list. But, you know, the the thing I really like about the Clay Guida one is, he, to me, he clearly lost the first and the second round. He looked like he was losing the third round. And for a guy who we know for his submission prowess, you know, he did get the knockout over Frankie Edgar. So I guess I shouldn't just say he's known for his submission prowess. But at that time, we were talking about it, all this triangle jokes. We were talking about the fact that he's got a good guillotine. We are talking about... Flying fucking knee knockout of Clay Guida and put him clean fucking out. No f- follow-up shots needed. And to me, that 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 is just Brian Ortega's career in a quick little snapshot. All right, we already mentioned this fight, and God is it deserving. Uh, number two is Yair Rodriguez with the, I guess you could call it, 6-12 uh, to 12 elbow <laughs> on Korean Zombie with one second left on the clock at their fight this past weekend at the UFC 25th anniversary show in Denver. Uh, I mean, I just don't even know. It was just so epic. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we need to mention too much more about it because we already talked a little bit about it. But, yeah, epic, epic shot. The fact that Paul Felder right away thought it was a headbutt and it was going to get overturned, and then he watches the replay and, like, shits his pants. Oh, it's phenomenal. Um, But on top of that, too, yeah. Yaya Rodriguez threw that that elbow on purpose, hoping it would land, which to me is just so freaking crazy. How many people tried that in the gym the next morning? <laughs> right. That's oh, so true. Um, all right. And, oh, by the way, I feel like there is a shot of that elbow landing between that photo 
and then Habib jumping out of the cage. Those two shots, like, encapsulate 2018 for me. I want them framed and hanging above my mantelpiece, if I ever get a mantelpiece. But just so iconic uh moments in the ufc this year yeah and, and i think feel like it should get shout out to um i don't know who took the habib one but esther lynn is the one who took the picture of yair rodriguez she's a phenomenal photographer and she's got like 800 of the iconic photos you know from the ufc <laughs> out there so worth uh shouting her out is like one of the tops in the game too all right we'll move then to number one and when we threw this question out on our twitter feed uh the resounding number one answer was this it's a guy you might have heard of before, Anderson Spider Silva, getting a triangle choke on Chael Sonnen in the fifth round of their first fight after Anderson was well on his way to a loss. I, I think, if I recall correctly, he had lost all four of the, the previous rounds. Yeah, there was no way he was walking out of his UFC 117 bout with the belt. Um, and with a minute and 50 seconds left for Chael Sonnen to fall victim to, you know, a guy who, again, we, you know, we talked about Ortega doing something we weren't used to Ortega doing. You know, we're talking about Anderson Silva, the guy who everybody was touting as, like, the greatest striker of all time. Crazy good striking. Doesn't get a chance to strike the whole time. And then he reminds us all that, yeah, also, he's a jiu-jitsu black belt, and he is damn good on the ground and fucking dangerous from everywhere. It, it was just such a, a big moment. It sold more fights for fucking time and time again, right? The sh- the second Shale fight became a thing that everybody wanted to see because they wanted to see him beat him down again. I mean, like, this fight launched so much and was probably one of those memorable comebacks, never mind the fact that he did it with under two minutes to go in the fifth round. Not to mention, you know, his win over Rich Franklin, Nate Marquardt. I mean, Marquardt at the time, I feel like he doesn't even get remembered as as the beast that he was. Mm-hmm. And then he got the runic choke on Dan Henderson. But then I sort of felt like he went into, you know, the quality in the middleweight division at that time from like 2008 to 2010. You know, James Irvin, Patrick Cote, who had the knee injury. Thalys Lates, then he came up to fight Forrest, then the un, uh, just not even competitive Damian Maya fight, and then the Chael fight was so competitive for the other side, you know, it kind of killed the air of invincibility about Anderson, and I did look it up, I shouldn't have even second-guessed myself, every judge had it 10-9 Sonnen for the first three rounds, so he was well on his way to losing the fight, it's an epic comeback, Highly recommend if you've never seen it, and I'm guessing if you are listening to our show, you had to have seen that, because you're probably an MMA nerd like us. But you know what, maybe you're a newer fan, maybe you're an MMA nerd of the Conor Ronda era variety. Go back, UFC 117, August of 2010, and watch Anderson Silva on the Hail Mary come from behind victory over Chael Sonnen. Let's review our list. We had number five, Elkins over Bechtick. Number four, uh, Misha Tate with the late rear naked choke over Holly Holm. Number three, Brian Ortega with the KO knee to Clay Guida. Number two, what happened this past weekend, Yair Rodriguez with the elbow over Korean Zombie. And then Anderson Silva on his way to a loss, getting the triangle arm bar over Chael Sonnen. Frickin' epic. If you loved our list, if you hated our list, let us know. At Top Turtle MMA on Twitter, we are accepting both love and hate feedback. Gumby, let's move now to our UFC Buenos Aires breakdown. I do wonder, though, is it brought to you, is it brought to the fans by any company? 
Absolutely, this UFC Buenos Aires breakdown is brought to you by BJJT Club. Look, there are subscription services out there for everything now. You can get food, toothbrushes, deodorant. It is the way of the future. Everybody's going to be getting subscription services. So, why get your BJJ t-shirts any other way? You can get them delivered to your door monthly and for a low, low price with BJJT Club. Head to BJJTClub.com and see what I'm talking about. These shirts are uniquely designed and printed on high-quality shirts. That's right, high-quality material, unique designs, and if you want to get your very first one, you can go to BJJTClub.com right now and use the promo code FLOW. That's F-L-O, and we're going to give you 5 bucks off that first shirt, which means you can get the first shirt for just $7.50. That's right. $7.50, and they're going to deliver them to your door each and every month. Now, your wardrobe can stay as fresh as your grappling skills. So, this Buenos Aires breakdown, we're going to start today by talking about the main event. I'm going to take Santiago Ponzinibbio over Neil Magny. Uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, betting off is a huge favorite. Negative 325 over Neil Magny at plus 250. I'm going to be honest, I don't really love those odds. I probably won't put any money down on Santiago Ponzinibbio at that big. They're definitely playing the hometown advantage here. Magny's got the grappling skills to get him to the ground, but every single round starts on the feet, and that's why I like Ponzinibbio on this one. He's got thunder in those hands, and I think he might just get it done that way. Uh, in the co-main event, I'm liking Darren Elkins as a plus 225 underdog against Ricardo Lamas Betnoff at negative 250. Look, I like Darren Elkins for the same reason I like Mirsad Betchtick over uh, Ricardo Lamas. He's a wrestle boxer. He's really good with the takedowns, and I think he might just be able to get Ricardo Lamas down enough to eke out the decision. Plus, you can never count Darren Elkins out of a fight ever. Ask Mirsad Betchtick. And for the third fight, we're going with Khalil Roundtree at negative 250 over Johnny Walker at plus 220. Johnny Walker coming off of uh, Contender Series Brazil getting the contract. I think Khalil Roundtree goes into Buenos Aires here and does what he does every time. He out-athletics people, and he, he's got heavy hands. So uh, he's gotten better and better every single time with John Wood, so I'm liking Khalil Roundtree here too. So uh, to recap that real quick, we got Santiago Ponzinibbio over Neil Magny, Darren Elkins with the upset over Ricardo Lamas, and Khalil Roundtree over Johnny Walker. Uh, this has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on Flow. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Sheath Underwear, CC Mouthguards and BJJT Club. Plus, we want to give a thank you to Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without those guys. We want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. You're going to want to check out all we're doing there. There's fun trivia on each and every day. Shockwave Dave puts it up and gets you all set with that. Plus, we have a live trivia contest during every single event where you can win sweet autographs and also gear from some of our sponsors. So make sure that you check that out. I was Daniel Gumby Reeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we are going to see you next week.